The following chapter is taken out of the Saints' Everlasting Rest. Richard Baxter The Necessity of Diligently Seeking the Saints' Rest If there be so certain and glorious a rest for the saints, why is there no more earnest seeking after it? One would think, if a man did but once hear of such unspeakable glory to be obtained, and believed what he heard, he'd be transported with the vehemency of his desire after it and would almost forget to eat and drink, and would care for nothing else and speak of and inquire about nothing else but how to get this treasure. And yet, people who hear of it daily and profess to believe it is a fundamental article of their faith, as little-minded, or labor for it as if they had never heard of any such thing, or did not believe one word they hear. This reproof is applicable to the worldly-minded, to the profane multitude, to formal professors, and even to the godly themselves. The worldly-minded are so taken up in seeking the things below that they have neither heart nor time to seek this rest. O foolish sinners, who has bewitched you? The world bewitches men into brute beasts and draws them even to madness. See what riding and running, what scrambling and catching for a thing of naught. While eternal rest lies neglected, what contriving and caring to get a step higher in the world than their brethren, while they neglect the kingly dignity of the saints. What insatiable pursuit of fleshly pleasures, while they regard the praises of God, the joy of angels, as a tiresome burden. What unwearied diligence in raising their posterity, enlarging their possessions, perhaps for a poor living from hand to mouth, while well, judgment is drawing near. But how shall it go with them then, never brings them to one hour's consideration, with rising early and sitting up late, and laboring from year to year to maintain themselves and children and credit till they die? But what shall follow after, they never think of. Yet these men cry, May we not be saved without so much ado? How early did they rouse up their servants to their labor? But how seldom did they call them to prayer, reading the scriptures? What has this world done for its lovers and friends that it is so eagerly followed and painfully sought after? What Christ and heaven are neglected? Or what will the world do for them for the time to come? The common entrance into it is through anguish and sorrow. The passage through it is with continual care and labor. The passage out of it is the sharpest of all. O oh, unreasonable, deluded men, will mirth and pleasure stay by you? Will gold and worldly glory prove fast friends to you in the time of your greatest need? Will they hear your cries on the day of your calamity? At the hour of your death, will they either answer or relieve you? Will they go along with you to the other world and bribe the judge and bring you off clear or purchase you a place among the blessed? Why then did the rich man lack a drop of water to cool his tongue? Or are the sweet morsels a present delight in honor of more worth than eternal rest? And will they recompense the loss of that enduring treasure? Can there be the least hope of any of these? Ah, vile, deceitful world! How oft have we heard your most faithful servants at last complaining? Oh, the world has deceived me and undone me. 
It flattered me in my prosperity, but now it turns me off in my necessity. If I had as faithfully served Christ as I have served it, he would not have left me thus comfortless and hopeless. Thus they complain, and yet succeeding sinners will take no warning. As for the profane multitude, they will not be persuaded to be at so much pains for salvation as to perform the common outward duties of religion. If they have the gospel preached in the town where they dwell, it may be they will give the hearing to it one part of a day, and stay at home the other. Or if the master come to the congregation, yet part of his family must stay at home. If they have not the plain and powerful preaching of the gospel, how few are there in a whole town who will travel a mile or two to hear abroad, though they will go many miles to the market for provisions for their bodies. They know the scripture is the law of God by which they must be acquitted or condemned in the judgment. And that the man is blessed who delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Yet, will they not be at the pains to read a chapter once a day? If they carry a Bible to church and neglect it all the week, this is the most use they make of it. Though they are commanded to pray without ceasing and to pray always, yet they will neither pray constantly in their families nor in secret. Though Daniel would rather be cast to the lions and forbear praying three times a day in his house, where his enemies might hear him, yet these men will rather venture to be an eternal prey to Satan, the roaring lion, than thus to seek their own safety, or their cold and heartless prayers invite God to a denial. For among men it is taken for granted that he who asks but slightly and seldom doesn't care much for what he asks for. They judge themselves unworthy of heaven, who think it not worth their more constant and earnest requests. If every door was marked where families do not morning and evening earnestly seek the Lord in prayer, and his wrath were poured out upon such prayerless families, our towns would be as places overthrown by the plague the people being dead within, and a mark of judgment without. I fear where one house would escape, ten would be marked out for death. In the very doors as a work cried, Lord, have mercy upon us, because the people would not pray themselves. But especially if we could see what men do in their secret chambers, how few would you find in a whole town that spend one quarter of an hour morning and night in earnest supplication to God for their souls. Oh, how little do these men value eternal rest? Thus do they slothfully neglect all endeavors for their own welfare, except some public duty in the congregation to which customer credit engages them. Persuade them to read good books, learn the grounds of religion and their catechism, and sanctify the Lord's day in prayer and meditation and hearing the word. Forbearing all worldly thoughts and speeches, and what a tedious life did they take this to be, as if they thought heaven were not worth doing so much for. Another class are formal professors who will be brought to any outward duty, but to the inward work of religion they will never be persuaded. They will preach or hear or read or talk of heaven, or pray in their families, and take part with the persons or causes that are good and desire to be esteemed among the godly, but you can never bring them to the more spiritual duties, 
is to be constant and fervent in secret prayer and meditation, conscientious in self-examination, heavenly-minded, to watch over their hearts, words, and ways, to mortify the flesh and not make provision to fulfill its lusts, to love and heartily forgive an enemy and prefer their brethren before themselves, to lay all they have or do at the feet of Christ and prize his service and favor before all, to prepare to die and willingly leave all to go to Christ. Hypocrites will never be persuaded to any of these. If any hypocrite entertains the gospel with joy, it is only in the surface of his soul. He never gives a seed any depth of earth. It changes his opinions, but never melts and new molds his heart or sets up Christ there in full power and authority. All his religion lies most in opinion. So does his chief business and conversation. He is usually an ignorant, bold, conceited dealer in controversies rather than a humble embracer of known truth with love and obedience. By his slighting the judgments and persons of others, and seldom talking with seriousness and humility of the great things of Christ. He shows his religion dwells in his brain, and not in his heart. The wind of temptation carries him away as a feather, because his heart is not established with Christ and grace. He never in private conversation humbly bewails his soul's imperfections, or tenderly acknowledges his unkindness to Christ but gathers his greatest comfort from his being of such a persuasion or party. The like may be said of the worldly hypocrite, who chokes the gospel with the thorns of worldly cares and desires. He is convinced that he must be religious or he cannot be saved, and therefore he reads and hears and prays and forsakes his former company and courses, but he resolves to keep hold of present things. His judgment may say God is the chief good, but his heart and affections never said so. The world has more of its affections than God, and therefore it is his God, though he does not run after opinions and novelties like the world. Yet he will be of that opinion which will best serve his worldly advantage, and as one whose spirits are enfeebled by some pestilential disease. So this man's spirit, being possessed by the plague of a worldly disposition, how feeble is he in secret prayer, how superficial in examination meditation, how poor in the watching over his heart, how nothing at all in loving and walking with God, rejoicing in him, or desiring him, so that both these and many other sorts of hypocrites, though they will go with you in the easy outside of religion, yet will never be at the pains of inward and spiritual duties. And even the godly themselves are too lazy seekers of their everlasting rest. Alas, what a disproportion is there between our light and heat, our profession and prosecution. Who makes such a haste as if it were for heaven? How still we stand, how idly we work, how we talk and jest and trifle away our time, how deceitfully we perform the work of God. How we hear as if we did not hear, and pray as if we did not pray, and examine and meditate and reprove sin as if we did it not, and enjoy Christ as if we enjoyed him not, as if we had learned to use the things of heaven as the apostle teaches us to use the things of the world. 
What a frozen stupidity has benumbed us. We are dying. And we know it. And yet we do not stir. We're at the door of eternal happiness or misery, and yet we perceive it not. Death knocks. and We don't hear it. God and Christ call and cry to us. Today, if you will hear my voice, harden not your hearts. Work. Well, it is day. For the night comes when none can work. Now ply your business, labor for your lives, lay out all your strength and time now or never. And yet we stir no more than if we were half asleep. What haste did death and judgment make? How fast did they come on? They're almost upon us, and yet what little haste we make. Lord, what a senseless, earthly, hellish thing is a hard head. Where is a man that is in earnest as a Christian? Methinks men everywhere make but a trifle of their eternal state. They look after it but little by the by. They do not make it the business of their lives. If I were not sick myself of the same disease, with what tears should I mix this ink? With what groan should I express these complaints? And with what heart grief should I mourn over this universal deadness?